everyone, and welcome to this episode of Pop Culture Quorum Deo. I am Jeff, one of your hosts. I'm here with Jared, and we are both recovering from watching too late of a showing of uh, Marvel's latest installment, Infinity War, last night. Jared, I, I told you before we started recording that I've never been hungover, but I imagine what I'm feeling right now is what it feels like to be hungover. Yeah, I imagine so, man. I feel awful. I drank. So when I go to the movies and I buy something, I've got it in me to get the best deal possible. And so if it's free refills, I'm going to drink the whole thing and try to get a refill. Um, But it was like 60 ounces or something. And I ate too much popcorn and I just feel awful. I felt awful this morning. I feel better now. We could have called it war on our pancreas. Yeah, for real. Uh, You know what's really tragic about this whole thing here, Jared? What? We didn't even see the latest showing. We just saw a later showing of the movie. We saw an 8.30 showing. That's plenty late, man. Two hours and 30 minutes long. <laughs> if I can use the uh, the Christianized version of the old Danny Glover catchphrase from Lethal Weapon, I am too old for that kind of stuff. I believe it, man. Me too. By the way, did you see that IMDb has this movie rated a 9.2 out of 10? I did. Now, that's something I want to talk to you about. I guess we can do it now as quickly as possible. Um, and, and fair warning, guys, from this point on, there are going to be all kinds of spoilers for Infinity War. So heads up. If, if you don't want to have that plot spoiled for you, details of the movie spoiled for you, just hit pause, come back to this episode after you've watched the movie. Um, I've wondered, Jared, if this isn't going to be Marvel's version of, I don't know, maybe Justice League in DC in this way. Now, people out there are like rolling their eyes, but fans on Rotten Tomatoes like Justice League much more than critics. Mm-hmm. And I have already seen several critics who are like, eh, this movie just is tired or, uh, you know, it, the only thing it offers is a chance to remember movies you liked better from the past, you know, just like kind of maybe signaling the beginning of pushback against uh, these Marvel movies in, in a in a pronounced way among the critical community. We'll, we'll see. But some of that rating stuff that's shown up already online makes me think, you know, the audience loves this movie, but I'm starting to see signs critics may critics may be forming a different narrative. Mm. Dude, that's 67,000 user votes. I mean, that's that's a significant number already. Yeah, well, speaking of significant numbers already, go look at the Rotten Tomatoes ratings on this thing. It's already starting to skew apart. You know, the critics are at 84%. The audience is at 94%. Oh, wow. Dude, just to put this kind of in perspective, Avengers Infinity War is 9.2. Shawshank Redemption on IMDb, which is the greatest movie of all time, according as far as rating, is a 9.3. Wow. So <laughs> that's pretty That's pretty significant. Yeah. If the parking lot last night was any indication, uh, this movie is going to do very well. I, you know, we've been going to the same movie theater for multiple decades now. Mm-hmm. And without hyperbole, I've never seen a time when the parking lot had no spaces except last night. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> In, was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy, man. And um, it, it, this movie was made, I mean, we can talk about it here in a minute, but this movie was made for today. Like, they they provided as little information as possible. It was, it was very pithy for each character. You know, they crammed 20 characters or so into this movie, and there was just enough information to know what was going on. Like, um, and it still took two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's let's just keep going. I'm going to start with my summary. Uh, the heroes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe team up in a cosmos-sprawling battle against uber-powerful Thanos as he attempts to assemble an all-powerful weapon, which he intends to use to wipe out half of the universe's population. That sound good, Jared? Sounds good, man. Okay. Well, let's just talk about general notes on the film before we get into the analysis. I think your point there uh, about how big the cast 
is and how sprawling the the story is in this movie is well taken. Um, I wrote in my notes, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, this is Marvel's Lord of the Rings. And we have a battle in this movie that is Marvel's version of the Battle of Hornburg or Helm's Deep in terms mm-hmm. of scope uh, and theme, if not result. So, I mean, what I'm trying to get at there is that this movie is grand and moves around. Tons of characters have to get attention. Uh, the thing I'd ask you, though, Jared, do you feel like any of the characters got shortchanged? Um, I lean towards uh, Black Panther got a little shortchanged. Um, trying to think. I mean, if you I, you want to be I want to be charitable, um, but I, that was the main one because of how big that movie was. But that you know, assuming that this production was almost done by the time they realized how big Black Panther was, um, you know. So I so I want to be charitable, but that's my opinion. I think that I think that character got shortchanged some. Um, but as far as others, none ring a bell. Yeah, I, I was impressed. You know, the Russo brothers did Civil War, and when we went into Civil War, I thought there's no way they can give enough attention to all the characters who are involved in this movie. But I thought they pulled it off. And here, I kind of feel the same way. I, you know, you're, you're probably right if you have to pick one character who didn't get as much time uh, as some of the rest. It would be Black Panther. But still, man, like the the ultimate battle in this movie takes place in his backyard, and he's all over the place during that. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm impressed. I, I came away going, they did something that on paper looks pretty impossible in terms of characterization and getting all the plot elements in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they landed it. Yeah, I think so, brother. I mean, that's it, it was a really, really good movie. And the battle scenes were amazing. I mean, even from the beginning, um, I mean, with the various henchmen for Thanos, Thanos, I'm sorry. Um, I mean, they were they were amazing. Yeah. The You're talking about um, specifically Thanos' John Piper? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was creepy, man. Rejoice, you get to die for the great Lord Thanos. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, <laughs> it was. He kept saying it over and over again. Yeah. Uh, that character's name, by the way, is the Ebony Maw. Okay. And so <laughs> from now on, when I quote John Piper, I'm going to hashtag it Ebony Maw. There you go. Do it. Do it. Uh, the, the one thing I will say, and this may feel, I don't know, like I'm going back a little bit on what I said earlier. I don't feel like, uh, let me say it this way. I assert still that no character was really particularly shortchanged in this movie. Mm-hmm. But by virtue of how many people they have to pay attention to, uh, if if by some strange chance one of our listeners is making Infinity War their jump in point, I'm going to tell them just stop because caring about these characters is so dependent upon you having come to to know and care about them in previous films. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you come to this movie expecting to be emotionally drawn in by what happens in this movie, I think you're going to come away going, I just didn't have enough time to care about any of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie is depending upon you being familiar with these. I'm not saying you have to, you know, see everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but clearly you've got to have a pre-existing relationship with these characters to really appreciate this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even know. I hadn't. I had not. I have not seen uh, Thor Ragnarok um, at least all the way through, and so I was kind of lost at the beginning of this one. Yeah. Well, and that that uh, that is where we start. So basically, Ragnarok ends with the Asgardians in exile on this big spaceship, and when we jump into this movie, man, they did such a great job establishing the stakes. You know, the the first thing we see is this Asgardian ship torn to pieces. We see Heimdall, you know, struck down. And then we realize Loki's up moving around, but 
that thing crumpled up at Thanos' feet is Thor, who he then manhandles. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I said it in the theater. Um, as soon as the Incredible Hulk comes out and starts bashing on Thanos, and Thanos just like a prize fighter gives it right back to him hand to hand, you come away going, holy cow, this is really legitimately the biggest threat that these guys have ever run up against. He's taking mm-hmm. out Thor. He's going toe to toe with the Hulk. Uh, really, really good storytelling considering they had to get right to it. They, they found a mechanism to do it very mm-hmm. effectively, I think. Yeah. Good call, man. Good call. What uh, what about uh, conscience issues? All right. So let me just run through what I've got here. You fill in what I've missed. Okay. Okay. I noticed some foul language. Mm-hmm. I also noted some, some crude language, like Peter Quill makes jokes based on male anatomy, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Scar- yeah I, oh, go ahead. It seemed a little more than normal. Yeah. Just, you know, maybe five or ten words more, five or ten things more than normal. Yeah, dialed up a little. Yeah. Um, Scarlet Witch and the Vision are obviously hooking up in a hotel room, and Vision tells her, like, we shouldn't have gotten out of bed this morning. Hmm. Although, we don't see anything remotely sexual other than him looking at a window and she stands up out of bed. You know, she's not even, like, provocative dressed. It's just clearly assumed. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, there's, there's a touch of violence in this movie. Yeah, just uh, a know, touch. It, it is interesting that Marvel does a good job of having lots and lots of consequential battles where people get hurt, but there's virtually no bloodshed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a particularly poignant moment where a character dies in this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, you see that character falling, and then you see that character laying on the bottom of the ground, but you don't see the, the ending of that character's life either. I, I appreciate that Marvel takes care to do stuff like that, because we live in a world where these movies are necessarily going to appeal to children, and mm-hmm. yeah, sure, adults are going to love them too and want to see them, but I, I appreciate that Marvel still says, well, we can do this in a way that, you know, basically isn't Deadpool and doesn't just, Mm -hmm. you know, make everything as over the top as possible or even as over the top as you would think in a real world scenario. I mean, I feel like I'm talking crazy talk here, but if these things were happening in our world, there would be much more gore. Uh, Marvel doesn't make that front and center in their movie. Mm -hmm. I think you hit it all, man. Okay. Well, let's chop this thing up according to uh, Christian worldview and we'll start putting it back together. Um, Creational goodness in this world. Two things I wrote down. Um, We see good things from the real, real world accurately reflected in this world of gods and titans and wizards and superheroes. Uh, we see friendship. We see romance. We see the pursuit of happiness in life. Uh, those things are assumed to be good and worthy of protecting. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate that. I think it tells the truth there. And I think more importantly, at, at a fundamental level, the conflict in this movie assumes that living beings should have their right to life, not infringed upon by fellow creatures. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Like the problem with Thanos is that he thinks he has the right, uh, the will, whatever language you want to use, to determine how many people get to live and how many need to die. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing our movie that this movie says that's horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. What are you seeing there I didn't get to? Um, as far as uh, creation? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a world that's it's supposed to be our world, but there's obviously aliens and, and uh, many worlds that are Earth-like worlds. Um, you know, there's a clear good and a clear evil evil in this. Um, actually, there's there's very, there's many characters on both sides, but there's a clear, you know, there, there's no wishy-washiness in this in this movie as far as um, which side you're on. You're either on one or the other, mm-hmm. um, which I which I think is helpful about superhero movies anyway. Absolutely. And and um, and so it mimic, 
mimics our world where there is there are there are clear morals and moral bound at least for the most part i mean the raccoon is obviously not very moral and makes jokes about being a thief and stuff but are, are you going on record disagreeing with thor that rocket is a rabbit yes okay. i thought that was hilarious too I, i'm surprised he didn't go nuts about that either like, yeah there, there's something there because he always hates references to being an animal uh, yeah you know, yeah i, I, I knocked you off that. your uh, your vocal train there so carry on sorry yeah yeah so um you know other than that other than the rabbit the rock the raccoon um rocket but uh so as far as creation it very much mimics our world very much mimics um clear good and clear evil evil must be fought must be opposed and when there is evil the good need to come together to fight it um that's what i've got for creation okay well i'll take fallen initially again uh, sure. what's what's fallen in this movie is a fantastical presentation of actual real world evil which i like as you said about superhero movies um again the central conflict here is that this super powerful person thinks that they should amass power to decide the fate of his, you know, their fellow creatures. And that something like that shows up in their real world, right? Lord, you know, the Lord Acton quote, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We live in a world where individuals who attain some degree of power, uh, they often use it to abuse and even murder as a result of the same kind of pride that moves Thanos, right? Mm-hmm. And the same kind of fallen thinking that Thanos evidences. These things are like dialed up to 11, writ super large, but they're they're rooted in the, the same stuff we see in offices and churches and civic organizations and, you know, the government all the time. Oh, yeah. Carry on yeah, from there. Definitely. Um, you know, if evil people aren't opposed um, in this movie, then they're going to take over and basically half the population of every world is going to die and die at the snap of a madman's fingers. And so the fallenness of it is um, one that I don't know that w- what's interesting, man, is uh, the whole the whole emphasis on the six stones at the beginning. Um, I mean, these six stones being I, I don't know, being part of creation where you're giving you're giving these stones um, to potentially evil people or potentially good people. Um, I just thought it was uh, it's interesting. It's interesting because underlying all of underlying these six stones, the fact that they they separate the stones, number one, you know, similar to the Lord of the Rings where you you um, separate the rings. Um, no, no person needs this this much power type thing. Well, well, why not? If man isn't basically isn't basically good, right? Why not? Somebody have this much power. Um, so there's this there's this underlying assumption, like you said, that uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, and which, which is interesting considering the world that we live in, um, where folks want to argue that kids are basically good until they're taught um, evil, until they're taught wrong. Um, when the truth is, is that folks uh, often do like in a, in a previous episode you asked me what superpower I would like and um, you know that that question was posed in a study one time you know it, the question went you know what what would you do if you were invisible and the the interviewer as he asked the men you know at first they were talking about helping people but as he probed more eventually the men wanted to be in girls locker rooms mm-hmm. and girls as they at first they wanted to help people but as the interviewer probed more they would go they would talk about going and stealing stuff from department stores like clothes and jewelry. And um, so it's very interesting when you consider um, that this world would argue, it seems that men are, men have, men can choose to be good or evil. But yet it's also arguing that men cannot be trusted with this much power, which is how do those two things fit together? But they, they do somehow in this world, evidently. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe there's some idea that like men would just choose to be evil with power. But I, I'm, I'm with you. Like the, the idea that power corrupts is sort of depend on the 
dependent upon an idea that creatures are fallen and right. they're not going to use power for wise and noble servant hearted ends. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, you would think. I mean, you you give um, you give power to the most vulnerable, the best person among us, right? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the assumption. But you know, they're they're wanting to give uh, today. They're wanting to give power uh, to the youngest of children to determine against their own biology. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, on uh, redemption and glorification, I really struggled here. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you know how this movie ends. I'm assuming mm-hmm. this movie is designed to not give you a redemptive ending, right? And it doesn't really give you a vision of any good world to come after it. So, redemption and glorification for me on my notes are pretty much empty. What do you have there? Yeah. Well, I would say redemption and glorification happens if they can somehow reverse. You know, if uh, oh, not Tony, not Tony Stark, but uh, Doctor Strange. Did Doctor Strange die in this one? Yes, he did. Okay, so somebody's going to have to get the time. I'm just, I may be spoiling the next one, but somebody's going to have to turn back time, is what I'm assuming. Um, similar to how Thanos or Thanos uh, turned back time um, to get the final stone. Sure, that's, well, that's what I'm assuming is going to happen. What are you thinking? Well, I think you're right because we kind of know how superhero movies go, and and with this one, we've seen the comic book press. You you know, precedent on the story. Mm-hmm. But just looking at the movie as the movie itself, mm-hmm. um, the only glimmer of hope you have is that final scene of Nick Fury as he himself is dissolving into ashes as one of the members of the half of the cosmic population who Thanos is eliminating. Uh, he has signaled what isn't stated in the movie, but what we know is Captain Marvel, who is mm-hmm. one of the more powerful characters in the Marvel cinema, or the excuse me, the Marvel Comics universe, who's not really shown up in the cinema universe yet, but is very much on her way. That's awesome. Yeah. So, it, so it is a, a woman, right? Yeah, yeah. The character started off as a, a Kree warrior who was a male, but eventually, you know, in the way that these things get handed down, uh, it it's came to rest on a character named Carol Danvers, who has been several different superheroes in the Marvel uh, comic universe over the years, but really f- took off when they made her Captain Marvel. So much hmm. to look forward to. Her movie's coming yeah. pretty soon, too. Awesome. Uh, you ready to move into analysis then? Oh, yeah. So I think we've we've answered question one. What's the story? We've kind of tried to walk through that pretty thoroughly. Um, on on the second question, where am I? Where we hope to see the style and shape of the imaginary world? I, I think I'm there, very willing to do what the movie is asking of me in terms of rooting for those who defend life and rooting against those who love death. You know, I'm I'm very willing to give my support to the collection of heroes who are opposing murder, and uh, I think it's a good thing that the film asks me as the audience member to give my allegiance to those who are seeking to protect life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I identify with those who po- oppose Thanos. Um, but I, I love Spider-Man. I mean, I, I grew up. He was probably my favorite as far as all superheroes. He was my favorite character growing up. And uh, he, I mean, he does a great job in this movie. I love the interaction with Tony Stark when he uh, when he, he says, you remember this old movie, this real old movie, Aliens? Yeah. It, it's, just, it's just hilarious that he's... You know that that's how he is in the comics. He's kind of a he's kind of snarky, and uh, I, I like that about him. But I so I identify with if I'm a superhero, it's it's uh, Spider Man. Um, Peter Quill can kind of be that way too, but um, but I don't know, man. I, I enjoy I enjoy Spider Man and his abilities. I always thought it was really cool, and it and it and believable ones. You know, getting bitten by radioactive spider. You know, at least in my imagination as a kid, that that's that was at least in the realm of possibility, something that could actually happen. You know. 
know. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, so well so I, identified with that. I love that. I don't think we're rare on this front, but I join you, Spider-Man, you know, top five superheroes. My kids, uh, their room is lined with action figures I've collected over the years, and a great number <laughs> of those are Spider-Man. Tom Holland does such a great job, and Tom Holland is the rare British actor who can uh, do an American accent where I don't immediately go, oh, that's a British dude doing an American accent. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see the Iron Spider suit mm-hmm. in this movie, and that is an all-time favorite uh, alternative Spider-Man costume for me from uh, from the comic book mm-hmm. world. There's a couple PlayStation games where you know that are built on Spider-Man and where you can get all alternate costumes, and the Iron Spider is one that I'm always looking forward to use. So, yeah, Spider-Man is particularly cool, and he gives you really one of the most poignant moments in the whole movie. I mean, this is a, a grim, heart-wrenching movie, and it's maybe never so much that when when Tom Holland uh, playing Peter Parker falls into Tony Stark's arms and tells him, I'm not ready to go. Please don't let me die. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that was heart-wrenching. That was amazing. In a lot of ways, Tony Stark is the character whose heart has been mangled the most through the course of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, he's been there the longest. He kind of kicked the thing off, but mm-hmm. uh, that guy has, has been through the ringer. I think he has to give his life to save everybody in the last one, but I might, that might be way off, but um, I think they're building up to something with him. That wouldn't surprise me at all. We've heard for a long time that, you know, basically Downey is seeing the end of his time as Tony Stark coming, so that, that would be a noble way to, to get him out, but I, I do have some thoughts I want to run by you when we uh, get to how this may play out in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared, what's good, true, and awesome in this movie? So let's look for common grace and highlight it. I think it gets self-sacrificial love right. There's, It seems like there's an endless supply of superheroes who, who are talking about, no, I want to give my life. No, I want to give my life. No, you you take my life to save humanity. I mean, it just seems like there were several who made statements like that. And uh, it's all over the place. It's over the top as far as people who are willing to sacrifice themselves to save others. And the bravery is very admirable. I mean, Thanos is, is just wiping people out left and right. And you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy. And is it Drax? Drax. Drax. Yeah. Dra- Drax just wanting to bulldozer in. And I mean, they're just, it, the bravery is pretty remarkable considering this guy's like, I don't know, is he 15 feet tall? Oh, yeah, he's huge. I, and I mean, again, no problem going toe-to-toe with the Hulk and, and, and beating the Hulk so badly that Hulk is afraid to come out, even though Bruce mm-hmm. Banner is trying to surface him several times during the movie. So, yeah, Drax. Now, Drax, I'm not sure how familiar you are with his storyline, but his family was killed by Thanos, and so mm-hmm. he is revenge brave. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I remember. I mean, I've seen, I mean, that goes back to the very first Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, right. Um, I, re- I remember that, and he does have, but I mean, even then, it takes, it still takes bravery, but it's, sure. I guess, but revenge bravery is a selfish bravery. I'm. It's not that I'm, you know, I, I'm not willing to give my life for others. It's me willing to give my life because I don't care if I live or die if I just want this guy dead type thing. Yeah, well, I don't mean to distract from your central point. There, yeah. there are so many characters here who very nobly, if that's a word, in very oh, noble yeah. fashion, uh, seek to give their own lives to protect the cosmos from Thanos or even just give their lives to protect someone else that they love. And, and you're right, it's a good thing to see. Yeah, it's all over. I mean, you know, it would be harder identifying characters that weren't willing to do that than it would be, at least on the good side. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're willing to come together. I mean, the Avengers aren't on speaking terms, but when they're needed, you know, they put all that to the side and come together. I mean, you know, the church needs that. You know, the church mm-hmm. needs that mentality, man. I mean, your, your church is probably similar to my church, but if a church has been around for a while, there's usually a history and 
there's usually people's feelings have been hurt one way or the other. Man, it would be beautiful if we could just come together for the sake of reaching the community with the gospel, you know, and uh, to move past our uh, our hurt feelings and to uh, and to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And I don't know, I just found that um, I found that as a good example that the church can learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the movie gets uh, gets the definition of hero right. It gets the definition of evil right. Um, it, it did have a weird way of trying to get us to identify with Thanos. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely you know, like, right. Like him, him feeling bad. His him having love for his daughter, but him believing that for the greater good. I mean, it, it portrays him. You know, other people are calling him a madman, but there's there the storyline goes that it's possible now it's a slim possibility but it's possible that he's the only sane person in the universes yeah um, dude I, I want to talk to you about that so much but let's save that for what's fallen because I think okay. I, I'd like to talk with you about that okay um, okay um I think uh I think it get the movie gets right that and we talked about this a little bit uh, it, that ultimate power is only good in the hands of an ultimate good um you know it, it's so wonderful that and so I think this movie portrays rightly that ultimate power in the hands of a sinful person is a bad thing. And uh, I mean, we we can make arguments about the government. We could look at human history and see what humans have done with great power. Um, But on the flip side of that, for Christians, it is a good thing that God is sovereign. Um, I mean, in this movie shows us how wonderful it is that we serve a God who is all good. And um, I'm thankful for that. Amen. The uh, I'm going to come at the positive here from a negative angle. The the movie came out right as the world is dealing or watching anyway the controversy with Alfie Evans. Um, at the time we're recording this, the most recent decision the British courts have made is that allowing Alfie to receive further treatment is dangerous. And I'm taking this as a quote from the judge's decision. Allowing him to receive further treatment is dangerous to his future dignity and autonomy. And so the, the British court system System is refusing to allow his parents to take their child to receive additional care outside of the UK health system. And what I want to say on that is Infinity War is a throwback to the days when we understood that preserving life was actually the most fundamental route to preserving dignity, that, that you can't infringe on someone's most basic human li- uh, human right, which is their right to life, without infringing upon their dignity. And so the, the good thing that this movie assumes, we've already mentioned, but I just want to highlight how timely it is that the movie gets right that no creature has the right to take the life of other creatures. Mm -hmm. At at least no human creature has the right to take the life of other human creatures. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about how this movie says that no one person should have all the power. Um, That's true, but I'm mindful also of Lewis and Tolkien's critique of democracy and republic forms of government. They said that ultimately in those systems, the majority turns into the same kind of tyrant. Mm-hmm. That a single person would be. We're about to see that happen. I'm afraid. Well, I mean, I, about to. We've seen the situation with Alfie. We saw uh, Charlie Gard before him. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're watching that stuff play out, and, and in some ways, it's refreshing to be thrown back in this fantastical world to a world where people where people remember. You know, Thanos is a titan. He's not a human, but several times he refers to himself as a human. Mm-hmm. I was called a madman, and you know, stuff like that. It, this movie is still reflecting the creational truth that creatures don't have the right to take the life of other creatures. Right, right. And uh, Jeff, I'm curious, and this might be an 
excursus, excursus, but uh, curious how you would respond as a father if the court system tried to tell you that you some that you could not try to save the life of your child. Yeah, this is excursus. I'll um, I'll try not to go too far on this, but I will tell you that this thought has been uh, in my head quite a bit, but in, in a less fantastical way because I don't want to sound like I think I'm Rambo, mm-hmm. but I think the only play that you would have is to ask the people in the room, "Are you willing to kill me?" Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to feed my child. I would say over my dead body. Well, I mean, the thing that they're being prevented from doing is offering him additional care. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I would just force the issue. You're going mm-hmm. to have to kill me. Yeah. And and see if the basic humanity of the people standing in the room. It's easy for a faceless bureaucrat somewhere mm-hmm. to make this decision on a piece of paper, but to ask the people standing in the room, are are you seriously willing to do that? But Jared, I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't think Alfie has uh, a chance of recuperation. It seems like his disease is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically going to take his life and has already taken much of his function. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, this is such an atrocious uh, situation that I wonder if I'm not morally compromised by not trying to take action on his behalf, even though I live thousands mm-hmm. of miles away. Yeah, I, You know, you, you, you want to think that if you saw a, a neighbor being brutalized in the street, mm-hmm. that you would intervene. Yeah. Well, how far away do they have to be before you have a moral obligation to intervene? Or, I mean, excuse mm-hmm. Me, how close do they have to be before you do, and how far away are they before that obligation ceases? And like, I, I feel conflicted that that this thing is happening in my day, and I'm not taking direct action about it. it, it well, it's a, it's, it's an extension of the abortion issue. Yeah, right? and it, it's going to get worse. It's oh, uh, that's the thing. It doesn't. I mean, if they're willing to do this to sick, precious, beautiful children, I mean, and we're just it, talking about care. We're talking about. I think mm-hmm. they're allowed to feed him now, but at one point the court wasn't allowing him, although he was breathing on his own. The court was not allowing him to receive nutrition. It's insane. It's torture. And it's torture. It's evil. It's the clear definition of evil, wickedness, selfishness. And the, the thing that ticks me off more than anything is they portray this similar to how Thanos, oh, it's for the greater good. It's for the greater good. Absolutely. And, and who should make that decision? The parents. I mean, that, that's something that is... The parents as the delegated authorities that yes. God has established to care for their children. I get it. Sometimes yeah. The, the government has had to intervene against bad parents, but that is not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about parents who are doing what they're called to do and namely providing for their child. Um, mm. it, it Actually, I've got more on this theme. So can we talk about what's following in this movie? Sure. Sure. I mean, uh, I think I do think that like most this is one of my critiques of superhero movies, especially this one, that there's no like you said, there's no redemption or glorification offered. Um, so what is distorted evil, at least in part, is that it appears appears that evil has won, um, which I which I think is uh, well. That's that's not a superhero movie. <laughs> you know? um, it, it does leave you on a cliffhanger, and I, I know they're going to rectify it. Or they better rectify it in the second part, right? Well, this um, is this is Empire Strikes Back. We assume, right? That yeah, yeah. Things in on a down note to prepare you well for uh, you know the the great triumph that's coming down the pike. And, and in that sense, I'm happy to receive this movie as sort of capturing the the spirit of the disciples right after the crucifixion before mm-hmm. they know the resurrection direction happens, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point, man. And number two, I would say that the the hints, the subtle hints that they believe Thanos has some good points. Mm-hmm. Like like he believes from his perspective, he believes he is doing he is doing good. And um, it's trying to trying to get you to feel empathetic for him um, and trying to his relationship with his daughter and his empathy. Well, he's re- he's really willing to sacrifice his daughter for the greater good. And he's he, 
she's the daughter that he kidnapped after yeah. he killed not just her, her family her but people. like half of the race she comes from yeah but he he loves her yeah i can't help but wonder if this movie is trying to portray um it, what they're thinking is the christian god identifying thanos with um yahweh mm. um I hope you know not. the the arbitrariness um the ability to snap your fingers and have the population die um i mean the the and the 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 population dying was was random it was you know what i'm saying it was yeah, very, you use the word arbitrary it's just you go over here you go over there and yeah. one of those groups is going to get mowed down yeah and um and i wonder if some of that is how folks view and of course it's a wrong view of yahweh it's a wrong view of god um we believe and the, and the bible teaches and god has self self revealed through the prophets apostles and christ that he is all good all powerful all knowing all wise all present um you know and i mean all the all those realities means that whatever he does whatever he ordains is right um and if you don't if you don't come at good or the definition of good and what is moral from god's perspective you end up with an arbitrary whimsical morality that's based on the majority i mean i would love to see an atheist tell me why what the what they're doing to Alfie and, and the family there um, is wrong and why we shouldn't do it here. Well, um, Jared, I, I mean, that's the bleak that's the bleak future we're looking at. They mm-hmm. don't, they, they won't have the resources to do that. And if you get on Twitter, you know, there's already this phrase that's developed called Alfie's Army that's a belittling term to describe people who are on social media saying it's crazy we're starving a little boy to death. Mm-hmm. Dude, this, uh, what, what frustrates me is I feel like, I feel like this, you know, whoever the author of this or maybe can go back to the comic books. Um, but Thanos, in my opinion, is a poor substitute for Yahweh, but I believe he's supposed to mimic what people view as arbitrariness and people view as, um, you know, just whimsical decision making. If if there is a God who's all powerful, then there's no design or holiness to what to what he's doing and who he takes and who he leaves behind type thing. Mm. Um, but what they don't realize, what the British government is doing right now is closer to Thanos than, than their description of Yahweh. Absolutely, Jared. I, I, I tweeted this earlier just preparing for the episode. But if you want to see that God is sovereignly ruling this moment of history, notice that at the same weekend we're watching a little boy starve to death by the government who is tasked mm-hmm. with restraining evil so that it does not harm him. The same people watching that play out are then going to a movie about a guy who thinks that power gives him the right to determine who should live and who should die. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about God heaping condemnation on us in a general fashion? We're going to go and watch a bad guy and then go watch the government do the same thing. And, and at least good. at least in the movie, good people fought back. And I, that's, not a, that's not a call to revolution. But I'm saying we obviously are in the hands of a storyteller who's making it clear that our condemnation is just. Mm-hmm. And he's using pop culture to do it and the news cycle. Mm-hmm. It is it is very interesting. And I was pleasantly surprised that, well, that, I mean, you, you've heard these arguments before concerning we shouldn't have, we need to quit having children in America because we're, you know, we need to, we need to come up with this one child rule or, or just stop having children altogether because we're, we're going to run out of resources for our, you know, Earth is not going to be able to support all these people. You, you and I have heard those arguments. I mean, Jared, um, you're, you're pulling this right out of what I wrote down here. It, I, 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 I read these comics when they came out in 1991. So that was like right at the end of elementary school, right at the beginning of 
of junior high for me. Mm. And I remember when Thanos, Thanos, I'm, I'm taking your pronunciation. Good job. When Thanos <laughs> shows up and he says, I want to kill half the universe in service to my mistress, Lady Death, because there are more people alive than dead. Uh, in 1991, that was immediately assumed to be shockingly horrifying and monstrous. Mm-hmm. But what I see in Infinity War in the subsequent years is that we have so changed. And like you said, we have been, we keep hearing this delusional idea of human human overpopulation of the earth, despite all available data. People keep talking about human overpopulation. We live in a world where peak oil theory uh, is telling us that, you know what, there aren't enough resources to go around. Um, people have become Thanos-like in the interim between when these comic books came out and when the, the movies come out. Let me, let me interject something real quick. J- just on that note, man, I read recently about India and China. Mm-hmm. They've they've each got over three thirty million bachelors, male bachelors, yeah. because they don't they don't have enough women. Mm-hmm. So you've got men who so they're struggling. You've got their countries now have a they're struggling even more with human trafficking, with prostitution, with um, suicide, with you know these men are you know what I'm saying there's no mm-hmm. women and so the depravity it shows itself. But it, it's it's part of it's their own they laid the groundwork for that loneliness. Oh, absolutely. Through overweening pride, they thought yep. that the power they had access to gave them the right to make these decisions. It is, I mean, we're we're all Thanos now. Um, mm-hmm. So, so let me let me ask you, dude. What do you think? Why do you think they're trying to make us feel empathetic toward Thanos? Because I think they want him to be that kind of bad guy that everyone says is the best kind, which is the the bad guy who thinks he's doing something right and the bad guy who has a good point. I mean, we saw that with Eric Killmonger. Right. right. Um, they, they were already doing that. Thanos is just a bigger version of that from Black Panther. We're supposed to come away going, oh, yeah, you know, uh, he's got a point about how if we could take half the population out, everybody else would get more of the resources. And, uh, mm. you know, he's he's a sympathetic character. That's that's the thing that is most jarring to me about this movie coming from a familiarity with the comics. Thanos was just a monster, rightly so, in mm-hmm. uh, in the comic books. The, the only thing that humanized him was that he was in love, but he was in love with death. I mean, that's what we talk about when we talk about sociopaths mm-hmm. and the, the you know the great monsters of history. By the time this movie comes out now, we've lost that moral language and that moral framework to the degree that we kind of need to see Thanos as a sympathetic character because he sounds like what our self-appointed experts are telling us as they uh, as they basically pro, you know prolong their attempt at social engineering. Some of the consequences of which you've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. So I mean. I, I guess really to put a bow on my sense of what's fallen here, um, I, I still think most people would be scandalized by the idea of wiping out half of Earth's population. That's the closest to a real world scenario of, of what Thanos is proposing. But we do have larger numbers than ever deciding that through abortion, intentional childlessness, uh, that they kind of have the same goals Thanos has. They just want to do it with future generations rather than the one that's alive right now. And this... Mm, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's... I, I think that's unavoidable. And the thing that's truly horrifying is that this situation with Alfie Evans, again, Charlie Gard before him, it's showing us that there's an increasing number of people who are willing not just to play Thanos in social engineering and their own personal choices, but they're ready to line up behind him in support. Mm-hmm. And that portends black things for the future of life on this planet in a way that is actually a threat 
you know, to, to, to human flourishing. Oh yeah. And it, it will be a huge threat. That's what, that's what's so scary is, um, well, it'll be just based on who's, you know, who's got the biggest stick and, um, what they want to do. And, and all they have to do is argue for the, well, it's for the common good. If you want future generations to be able to blah, 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 um, to flourish, we've got to make sure these current generations don't, mm. or, or we, you know, if you ask the question about wiping out the half the world population, people would freak out. But if you said, what about, what if we just wiped out immediately the terminally ill who are going to die in six months anyways? Um, people would pause and um, I, they don't, people, they just do not, they, I, I don't think, this sounds bad, man, but I don't think a lot of folks are, um, have enough training to think logically and ethically. Um, well, sin consist- makes us stupid. Yeah, sin does. The noetic sin- effect of sin corrupts our mind. Yeah. We think fallenly. We think fallenly. We run with our emotions. I mean, if, if we suppress media, the truth and unrighteousness, if social media tells us anything, dude, I mean, the arguments that I see posted, I mean, it's much of it is pure naked assertion uh, based on and arbitrary feelings. You trying know? to enforce your preferences. Yeah, I, I really do believe, you know, for me personally, if you pulled away, you know, the, the Christian world, uh, the Christian worldview, I would become a hedonist. I think for society, if you pull away Christian ethics, mm-hmm. you collapse into a Nietzschean will to power almost mm-hmm. within days. And yep. we're watching it play out. Right. And Christianity is going to have to pick up the pieces of all this. I mean, the church, the local church, there's going to be a lot of hurting people. Well, look, Jared, I don't want to get overly political here. But one of the things that's really troubling to me in the church is that we have the same Nietzschean instinct. Mm-hmm. You know, so there is clearly a faction within the church who is OK with the government pointing uh, its resources at a, at a group of its citizens as long as it's the one that they're on board with. Right. You know, the mm-hmm. we've just got. We, we've got evidence of that. But then you've also got this, um, some of the stuff happening in the, in the realm of racial co- reconciliation, where people are trying to use power structures to enforce conformity with their perspective on an issue that's very murky. So we we just, we have too worldly a church to say that the church is going to be the solution, at least as it appears now. This could be a time of winnowing. God may bring revival. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of evidence that the church just does the same thing in terms of using the will to power for their own self-interest. Church does the same thing just on churchy subjects rather than, mm-hmm. you know, what we consider more civic concerns. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Um, I'm going to climb off my soapbox here, but like I'm, I'm deeply scared by these things. And I don't yeah. say that because I think God is not in control. I just know that God often ordains for his people to live in really black situations. And I'm not excited about watching these forces come to full fruition. I'm not either. And, and it, it moves fast, um, mm-hmm. moves faster than when we were kids. Um, at least it seems it does. It seems to be because of the internet and every everything is instant. Um, ideas travel faster. And it's, it's. I mean, these ideas are propagated in um, in many of the pub- public schools, but not. A, I don't think all of them, but um, I think the system is, is broken. Um, and then, especially in higher education, um, it, it's, uh, I mean, these ideas are presented as good. And so we're, we're going to see the, there's going to be a hard of, of these ideas. And um, I, I do dread that, but it's it's almost like that folks have to try it for themselves before they will realize um, that, well, that it leads to the grave, that it leads to destruction. Rebellion against God always leads to the grave. And um, well, and, and God is often provocatively kind in, in a way you're describing. Like people forget that New York, uh, you know, elite society in the days 
movies leading up to World War II were very captivated by the idea of eugenics and Mm -hmm. social engineering. We're speaking very complimentary about that. You see it in some of the writers of the period. But Hitler came along and did it. And so everyone was forced to go, oh my gosh, that is horrifying. Now, I'm not saying God was kind to allow the Holocaust, but in his providence over a fallen world, you're right. Sometimes the uh, atrocity of the idea fleshed out causes the broader society to pull back. But the thing is, man, I'm, I'm scared about whatever that Holocaust level event is mm-hmm. that, that sort of forces people to recalibrate. Yeah, and it, it will take something drastic because it seems, I mean, it's like it's like socialism. People are looking at, basically socialism has never worked. And Oh, but it's never been implemented correctly. Exactly. You know, that's what, they're, that's what they say. Right. And so folks will, when if there is a Holocaust-like event in America, folks will, unfortunately, they'll say, well, we it was a good idea, but we just didn't implement, you know, whatever caused it correctly. And um, that that's the that's the scary thing. You know, something something Carl Henry emphasized about the Bible, and I think it's helpful, um, is that the Bible is a book for humanity, not just for the church. Mm. And uh, if you want to know how to flourish as a human being in God's world, did you, did study you and Carl Henry just become theonomists? No, I don't okay. think so. But okay. No, your point is valid. Like, if you want to know how humans flourish. Right. You, you study the scriptures and concerning morality, right? Mm-hmm. If you, The further you get away from God's ideal for morality. So thank ethics. Romans 1. Also, yeah. Yeah, ethics. And uh, I mean, you get, to, you get to Romans 1. He talks about how basically there's this progression into depravity and a reprobate mind. Um, and what it is, it, it's running from God's design. It's running from um, how God has made all things and revealed through conscience, um, through the natural order, natural order, um, but also through special revelation um, that this is how you flourish in his creation. And if you rebel against that, you're not going to flourish there. There's going to be, well, there's going to be death and destruction and misery. And I mean, everything that happens as a result of voluntarily diving into God's wrath. Well, that is about as bleak as the ending of <laughs> Infinity War. Um, I think there's some positive here on that last question. How does the gospel apply? Mm-hmm. So in considering this movie, uh, I feel like Infinity War is embodying two particular texts that Christians are very familiar with. The first, it embodies the idea that there's an adversary who's prowling around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Thanos mm-hmm. is very clearly a satanic figure. Um, and there's shades of Hebrews 2.14 as well, that this satanic figure holds the cosmos captive through the power of death. Mm-hmm. But as we've already That's talked good. about, that just sets you up to rejoice in Jesus Christ, who is all-powerful, who is the very epitome of all that is good and right and beautiful, who's going to go into death and take the power of death away from that adversary. Hmm. So I'm I'm very I'm very delighted to look at Thanos and be reminded of a cosmic reality uh, of a of a fallen world system, but one that you know, I'm I'm not waiting for the next installment of the Avengers to give me some hope because I'm living in the world where the Redeemer has come, broken that power structure, and is surely bringing the full expression of his new administration to pass in the world I live in. So yeah, it, it could get very black. The things I've already said I'm afraid of, mm-hmm. but it will get black precisely as much as my good God wants it to get. And then it will be the backdrop against which the beauty of his goodness is displayed. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's a reckoning coming. I mean, there's a, God will one day balance the books and the one who ultimately rules and reigns is not like Thanos. I mean, you know, if you look at it from the triune God, I mean, he is all good. If you look at it from, um, you know, God the Son incarnate, ruling and reigning for all eternity, um, you know, he is he is all good as well. And so, I mean, you, you the, 
people ultimately the 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 deity that is in control of all things forevermore is all good and so i mean you know thanos is a backdrop like you said that uh, just magnifies the goodness of of god and uh, i'm i'm thankful for that reality you know so the so the gospel is better um the gospel provides a better remedy um a more a better value of humanity that it you know the the think of the image of god you know the image of god is not even considered in this movie as far as from the negative perspective the the value so the bad guy doesn't consider that he's destroying the image of god thanos does not consider that all these people he's arbitrarily wiping out are god's image bearers that he is just eradicating um doesn't even think about that and uh you know that the image of god deserves to be protected because of its intrinsic value given by its creator and only god should determine when um his image is to be taken from this earth and um you know that the, so the gospel provides a a better answer not only for what is wrong with the world but how to fix it this movie kind of you know if all there is is this world um these arguments if all there there is is this world and there's no creator there's no one giving us dignity then then thanos doesn't look that uh, crazy um you know let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die or let's um let me take i like your stuff let me take your stuff um or let me my life is more valuable than yours if there's no objective value from my creator um given to me and, and all of us being made in his image um then you know I, I if my stick is bigger then i should be able to take what i want i mean that, that's kind of the mentality but the gospel drives us uh, to the reality that not only are we made in god's image but god has uh, become man for the purpose of ultimately conforming the church into the image of himself the image of christ and um that is a that is a wonderful reality that he will complete in all the church but on the flip side of that he's going to pour out his wrath so this movie ends on a cliffhanger but there's no cliffhanger concerning how history human history is going to end um god's promises are sure and they will come to pass even regardless what appears to be um you know there are folks who look out and say well look at how bad things are look at this or look at that and see that proves that there's look things have been worse in various pockets of human history than they are today um but yet god is still sovereign reigning i mean 400 years of human slavery in egypt for the israelites but yet god wasn't deaf towards them you know i mean it, and you you read uh, of the human history and you see all that has come out of that and ultimately the savior of the world um i mean it's just it's it's amazing and so you know through christ we are being perfected too one day Christ is going to balance the books. And you know what, what's cool about this movie, dude, is um, one day Christ will snap his finger <laughs> and wipe out his enemies. Absolutely. And it's very, it's a very similar tale, but it's the good wiping out the evil and reconciling all things to himself. And uh, I, I long for that day, man. I long for the day when, when Christ is making decisions because what he does will be right and it will not be self-seeking and it will not be based on a limited knowledge like these, like British Parliament has. Um, it will be based on an infinite knowledge that is all good and ultimately for God's glory. Amen. Amen. You know, I think uh, we know how the comic book version of the story plays out. You know, we see Nebula being tortured by Thanos as a way to manipulate Gamora to do what he wants. 
and uh, Nebula, I, I think it's Nebula, it may be Gamora herself, but I think it's Nebula who is in the comic books offered as a shrine to death. He, he brings her to the brink of death, but won't let her die and offers that as a gift to death. And again, shades of that in the movie adaptation, but looking forward to the next installment and assuming that it's going to give you the, the resurrection joy that uh, is kind of baked into our sense of how hero stories should work. It will be very appropriate if they have a character who died in this movie, come back and be the one who takes the gauntlet from Thanos's fist. It, you know, if it's Gamora, mm. uh, who Thanos threw to her death from a cliff, if she returns from the dead to take the, the gauntlet, that will be about as accurate uh, a representation of how cosmic history is actually going to play out or has played out uh, that Marvel can attain to. And I'm looking forward to see if they rise to that opportunity. Mm-hmm. That, surely that has to be done, right, with how many have died? Surely. Well, Jared, anything else to add to this one, bud? No, I think I think the movie's worth seeing, folks. Um, actually, it's very, it is a very, very good movie. You'll find it very enjoyable. Yeah, it is such a long movie, but I never noticed. You know what I mean? I never at any point mm-hmm. thought, gosh, this is stretching on. And, and truth be told, I, I did feel that way sometimes watching like the Lord of the Ring movies. Oh, but yeah. I was enthralled. I, I don't know how it'll stand up to rewatching, but I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. So that, that's an indicator to me of how well they're telling the story. So yeah, I'm with you. Oh, yeah. Good uh, job. Jared, where can they find you on the social uh, networks beyond just our podcast? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. You can find me on Facebook at All Truth is God's Truth. And you can find me um, and Jeff on our uh, blog at uh, Pathios, pathios.com forward slash blogs forward slash pop culture quorum Dale. Be sure to check us out. We write companion pieces to our episodes there. Absolutely. And I'm going to appeal to you guys. If you're listening to this, one, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, two, while we had an initial flurry of, of several reviews left on iTunes on our behalf, we seem to hit a lull on that. And those are so important for iTunes to say to new listeners, you might want to listen to this show. And so I, I'm just asking as a as an appeal, if you're listening to this and if you feel like you've been profited in any way, uh, would you please consider how you could remind yourself to sit down at a keyboard sometime and leave us uh, a review on iTunes? I would greatly appreciate that. And it, it may help to whatever degree we are helpful. It may help other people be served as well. So thanks for listening. And if you're interested in connecting with me outside of the Pop Culture Cormdale podcast, I'm at Right Jeff on most platforms. Jerry, anything else to say before we head out, man? Do you know what you want to watch next? I'm not sure, brother. I'm not okay. sure. Okay. Well, guys, stay tuned. We will let you know soon what we're watching next time, and then we will talk to you again next time on the Pop Culture Cormdale podcast. <laughs> <laughs>